G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. The last tour we did was in Mackay. We did all these tours and that was massive party life. I'm talking like countless nights, no sleep, like three, four, five nights, no sleep, um, traveling, smoking weed, drinking, taking uppers, you know, police were called, often like damaged hotel rooms, stuff like that. And then I came home from that tour and I said to mum, mum, I'm done. I don't want to go back to music anymore. It's not what I thought it would be. It's empty. I'm empty. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, in 2002, Joseph Biro had his wildest dream come true. He became the lead singer for his favourite hard rock band, Super Heist. They appeared to be on the verge of international fame, and everything seemed to be going their way. But then, everything came crashing down. Joseph says that even though he had experienced great success, he still felt an emptiness inside that he tried to fill with drugs and the rock and roll lifestyle. We'll find out how God set him free as he has a chat and shares his story with Eric Scatterbo. Joseph Byro, welcome to the program. Thanks, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And it was your friend, Jeff Marsh, who recommended you for an interview. Yes. Now you work with him, is that right? I do. Yes, I do. The only problem was that he got the name of your band wrong, your former band. He thought it was Super Hoist. And I did a Google search, and I got all these garage mechanical kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, apparently <laughs> apparently they weren't very big. <laughs> <laughs> On you, Jeff. Good job, mate. Jeff Marceau, he's uh, quite proud of you. He said, no, no, you seriously, you have to find out Joseph's story. It's quite an amazing story. And as we just heard in the introduction, you were like almost every rock star or aspiring rock star's dream. You came in and you were just about going to get this international contract. I mean, it looked like everything was in front of you. Was that going to be a dream come true? Yeah. Um, at that stage, it was definitely um, a great height in my life. Um, definitely. And I, and I thought right there and then it was the pinnacle, you know, that, that it couldn't get much better than what it was at that stage. Yeah. 50,000 adoring fans screaming, singing along with lyrics you wrote. Mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a buzz. Yeah, it was definitely a buzz. Um, it was a rush. And yeah, I mean, to, to, to come into a band, um, to sing for a band who I loved and adored, they were my favorite band at the time. Oh, wow. Um, and I knew all the lyrics. Um, just as a fan. Just as a fan, yeah. So, yeah, so what actually happened? Well, well we're going to get to what happened and how you stepped in and became the lead singer for your favorite band. But let's just back up for a moment and find out what was life like before Super Heist for you. Yeah, so before Super Heist, I was um, uh, musically, I was in a band with my brother and with a, a group of guys that were really tight. And um, we were in a band called From the Inside. Um, music was something I really loved. Um, I loved singing and, and um, sharing my, my passion in my vocals. And I guess probably from a young age, um, my anger, you know, um, hence heavy metal. Um, but <laughs> I was raised in a, in a beautiful European home with a Hungarian family. My parents divorced when I was seven. And my parents actually 
didn't like each other much, so mm. I was involved in in the chaos in the in the midst of that um, that time. And um, so went to school, dropped out of school, year ten. Um, I was was smoking pot um, and drinking quite heavily back then. And um, yeah, so just doing the whole band thing, you know, trying to find purpose, trying and find acceptance and uh, and the community, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit um rebellious even back in those days. Uh so yeah, that was that was me prior uh, super heist, you know, playing in the pubs, playing in the in the nightclubs, playing parties, mm-hmm. getting smashed on the alcohol. Yeah. All that stuff. So now at that time, did you think, "Oh, if I just become a rock star, everything is going to be great. I mean, that's, is that kind of what was your dream at that time? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. To have a hot girlfriend, you know, and, uh, it wasn't real complicated. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> hot girlfriend, being a rock star. Yeah. Everything's fantastic. Yeah, man. Living the dream. So then what happened? How did you get a chance to audition for your favorite group? Uh, so we got the super high support nationally around Victoria. Um, so we did three shows with Super Heist supporting them. We got the first slot. You were the opening band for... That's right. ...for your favorite group. Yeah. So the wow. whole band was actually in awe of Super Heist and, and the, the dynamic. Because they had been around for like seven years before that? For a fair while. Okay. Yeah. So they're already established. You heard of them. They had a few hit singles. Yes. Yes. I had the albums and, and the EP and just loved the music and... and Love the the sound and and the definitely the direction they were headed in, and um, so they were like rock royalty in Australia, you know, mm-hmm. um, above any other band in my eyes. And so the whole band loved them, and we were touring with them, and we were buzzing out. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's pretty cool for you guys to begin with. Yeah, it's it was amazing. But then what happened? So um, on one of the shows, it was Berwick Town Hall, and it was like two thousand kids. It was an all ages show. So we had played, and a band called Another Race played second, and then Super Heist were headlining. And the lead singer at the time, um, something had happened. He was not well. Um, I'm not sure of the ins and outs of why he couldn't sing, but he pulled out, and there's 2,000 fans screaming Super Heist, and there's no one to sing, right? Sounds like something out of a movie. <laughs> yes. We need someone who knows the lyrics. Yeah, and then you put your hand up. Yeah, well, he asked. He asked Wes from another race to do it, and Wes said no, he doesn't know the lyrics, or he probably didn't like the music or whatever. So I did, and I said I do, and he said, "Do you want to sing?" And I'm like, "Oh, come on, do like, I? Are you serious?" <laughs> so all my friends were there, and they were like, "What's going on?" And Joey's singing for for Super High. Can't believe it, and it's just crazy. So I get up, and the, the show goes awesome. And anyway, I leave and the show's been done. The fans were fed something. I don't know if they enjoyed it, but they were fed something. And it was just like a whole surreal moment of what actually just happened. And am I actually really alive right now? Or is this a dream? So you just went from, you know, being an okay band to being like to the uh, upper echelon of, I mean, a band that was well known. Yeah. Yeah. It was was like diving straight in, you know. In the deep end. Yeah. But you did okay? I did okay, yeah. I, I mean, okay, I think. Well, I guess. <laughs> well, they asked you back, so you must have done all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then after that show, then they rang me and they said, we've got a Channel V, which is Channel V is a, an Australian show, which is quite large on a scale um, of shows. And, and it's a music show. And they asked me if I would do three 
live to air, like national TV shows, and fill these spots because um, Rod couldn't do them. So, so, for whatever reason, their normal lead singer wasn't available. Yeah. They needed someone. Yeah. So, that guy did okay the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so they asked me. Yeah. And um, I asked the band first. You know, I said, guys, you know, this is, I've been put in this situation. You know, um, I could feel the gravitational pull. You know, I could feel what was going to happen, you know, mm. already. Um, and so could they, you know. And it was a moment of uh, where my loyalty sort of... Um, if I'm honest, um, sort of... Uh, that would be an, a dilemma. It was a dilemma. Like, you, you could have your dream come true, but you'd have to abandon your mates. Yeah, absolutely. And my beautiful brother, like my brother Leslie, um, you know, was in the band and such a great musician and great bunch of guys. We were like family, you know. Mm. And then, um, so I said yes to this show that they said, yeah, yeah. The, the deal was that the, that from the inside would have public publicity from it and that, that, that there would be a dynamic push for us as a band oh okay. and, um, so you're yeah it could be positive for the your old band yeah and um so what happened was i did the first show the first show was bendigo live to air national tv national tv wow you're starting off right at the top yeah it was bizarre and still bizarre now man to think it actually happened and then second show we had a meeting and uh, they had a meeting and they said oh do you want to come in the meeting and i said uh, uh do i have to be there and they said well you kind of do you know so i went in and um they said, oh, look, we've been talking as a band and, and as management and uh, the record company's been on the phone after the first gig. They, Everyone's so super impressed with you, man. Like, you know, we want to offer you the front man position of Superheist, you know? Oh, wow. And I was just like, um, right there and then at that time, I thought, do you mean as a feeling? Like, it didn't quite click. Hmm. And then they mean, they mean they like record contract, like sign in to the group. Like to be, be the lead singer. Yeah. And wow. right there and then, honestly, you know, if I thought heaven was like anything right there and then, um, of course, <laughs> I was completely wrong. <laughs> um, but, you know, I thought right there and then was my was, was the moment I was experiencing heaven at its peak. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Joseph Byro. He's the ex-lead singer of the Melbourne hard rock band Super Heist. And as we've been hearing, he was a big fan of this group, and through a series of events, he became their lead singer. He thought this was going to be heaven on earth. However, unfortunately, it became nothing short of a nightmare. We'll find out what happens to him and how he eventually calls out to God for help when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scatterbo chatting with Joseph Byro. He's the ex-lead singer of the Melbourne hard rock band Super Heist. As we've heard before the break, they were his favourite band, and through a series of events, he became their lead singer. He thought that this was going to be the ultimate heaven on earth. However, things did not turn out as Joseph had expected. So what happened was I, I, I did the contract straight away, went into um, uh, this amazing festival called Homebake, 
um, which was in Sydney at, at Homebush Stadium. Um, 20,000 people playing alongside all these big bands in Australia. So I'm playing alongside all these stars, all the rock stars, what I thought they were, and, and I'm just like in awe of like, am I, is this seriously happening? Like, wow, I'm doing this. So I'm just like gone from like literally um, playing to 50 people in a pubs around Melbourne <laughs> to like playing to thousands and thousands of people. And the pressure came in pretty hard because a lot of people fans were like on the website were like abusing me saying that I'm nothing and I'm compared to this that that I need to go and the old singer needs to come back so (laughs) yeah I mean it's always hard to replace somebody that people like Mm. yeah Yeah, I mean they're never going to be happy no matter what you do because you're never going to be him yeah that's that's right and um that was the I think that was the biggest battle um Mm. through life till now is to find out who I really am Mm. you know and yeah, yeah. So while all this is happening, mm. there's also something happening inside of you, this this emptiness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so I had an addiction to pot and, and um, uh, party drugs before I came into Super Heist. So as you can imagine, coming into Super Heist, all these dealers and these um, runners and these party boys and party girls were like coming to the shows mm. and they were just filling, I mean, filling me with drugs. And the drugs were free, so it was just like... Bang, heaps of sleepless nights. I was known as the kid. They called me Joey the Kid Byro in that scene. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, hey, the kid. Because you cool. were younger than the other band members. Yeah, I was. there was a 10-year gap. So I was 21 mm-hmm. when I joined Heist and, and when I signed that deal with Shock Records. And, and then they were all 31, so they were all 10 years senior to me. Mm-hmm. And they were all sort of deeply rooted already in, in what was going on and mm-hmm. accustomed to it, which I was a foreigner, you mm-hmm. know, um, like a little lost sheep, you know, mm. basically. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so the drugs became really, really important. Mm. And free alcohol, every show, you know, the, the backstage room was full of vodka, full of bourbon, full of beer, full of all, all sorts of different stuff. You know? And then I was, you know, constantly, you know, seeking some kind of high, you know, mm. like to, to, to be awake. I love to be awake. I love to be awake. I was so desperate to be awake. I didn't want to miss a thing. You know, I was like, like I don't know, man, like an owl, you know, mm. <laughs> awake in the night. You know, I loved to be awake in the night. I, I loved seeing the sun come up. Yeah. And speaking of being awake, it was late at night when you wrote one of the hits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a Dignified Rage. Mm. Um, I was up at 4.30 in the morning and I grabbed an acoustic guitar. I think the first time I ever grabbed one and I learned a few chords. I think Drew, the bass player, showed me a few chords. So I learned these chords and I wrote that song there and then in like literally five minutes. But the lyrics kind of uh, were hinting towards something more in your life. Is that right? <sighs> yeah. Um, so the lyrics, the first verse says, I try to keep positive thoughts in my mind. I've got to rise above the rest and fly with the angels, you know. And So you're already kind of talking about supernatural angels at this point in your drug-induced state? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what that even really meant, you know. Mm. I mean, it was just, I guess, a moment. Um, and there was something deep inside me trying to surface through the rubbish of what was going on, you know, and the fame and the emptiness and whatever, and, you know, it just couldn't fill 
you know so that song was basically a cry a cry out saying i've got no regrets the rebellion you know mm-hmm. i've got no soul left um look in my eyes and you'll see that this rage is dignified so it's just like the lyrics i used to sing and the 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 power of what what we speak is amazing that's really 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 it can either bring life or death you know mm-hmm. like the bible says and um so what i wrote um i didn't really understand but now when i look back I, I understand, you know. Um, so inside was this anger, you know, confusion. Um, who am I? Mm. Uh, where am I? Um, how did I get to this emptiness? How did this void become so big and overtake my life that I couldn't, I couldn't love a woman? I would cheat on my partners, even though I had a great woman. I would cheat on my partner. I, I was never satisfied, you know. So no depth in the relationships. Well, there was, but it was only sexual depth. It was never a love depth. Mm-hmm. Although they would love me, I wouldn't love back. You know, um, I was quite cold inside. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that chorus was a cry. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a cry. I, I wanted to feel, I wanted to love. I, I wanted to go home after tour and love my family and, and be a bundle of joy and, and celebrate this um, rock star, this mm-hmm. life, this heaven that um, I thought I was in. But I got home and I was just so empty and broken and I would just often, um, I would often cry, you know. And then mm. the last tour we did was in Mackay. We did all these tours and that was massive party life. I'm talking like countless nights, no sleep, like three, four, five nights, no sleep, um, traveling, smoking weed, drinking, taking uppers, um, you know, police were called, often like damaged hotel rooms, Stuff like that. Basically, the stereotypical rock star lifestyle. Yeah, basically. And, um, yeah, that all all led to me um, having a... We had a fight on tour in Mackay. And then I came home from that tour and I said to mum, mum, I'm done with all this stuff, you know. I'm done with this. I, I'm, I'm finished. I don't, I don't want to go back to music anymore. It's not what I thought it would be. Um it's empty. I'm empty. Hmm. Yeah. So as the band progressed prior to that last stint, um, the songs were really deep and they were really death orientated, you know. Death orientated? Well, yeah. There's a song called Hole in the Head that we did. And oh, wow. It was about drilling a hole in my head, you know, being twisted and divided and and um, having memories of my disease. That's what the lyrics hmm. were about. And then at some point, you went missing or AWOL from the band. Yeah. So that's that's when I came home and cried to mum and everyone's like, where's... And I, and I hid away in, in, in like, a, like my shell, you know, I did the, the proverbial turtle, you know, and mm. hid in my shell and, and I was in a pretty broken and twisted place and, and I mean, all the stuff that I, I did and, and, and all the women I hurt and all the messed up stuff that I'd done and the neglect of my body and, and the neglect of my health and the confusion of wh- where's the music it's gone there's no love and passion in music anymore uh, started to so how interesting yeah. something that you loved making music no longer had fulfillment or enjoyment for you yeah the music should have been the most important thing because it's a great privilege to lead people in music you know um but at that time, it, it, it took the back seat and everything else took front seat, you mm. know, and right at the back somewhere or at right at the bottom of the toes was this 
beautiful thing and it was just blocked by my flesh and by my desires to um, fill this chasm, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, But of course, the Lord never intended these things, however nice they are, mm. to ultimately fulfill that emptiness of the human heart. Yeah. So we want to get to eventually how he does fill that emptiness. What happened after you left the group? Um, Yeah, so I I, I got a job um, with my brother, um, worked for a fair few years doing that, so I just, just left the rock star lifestyle and just got a job just like a regular guy. Yeah. And lived under the shadow of, this is Joey from Super Heist. Did you know this is Joey from Super Heist? Oh, this is Joey from Super... Oh, wow, this is Joey from... And everyone was like introducing me like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would just cook me. Like, it would twist my head because um, after a while, um, it, it, it was a good thing for a while, but after a while, it was a bad thing mm. because I, I was reminded that it wasn't really important, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but the, the thing about it was that was dangerous was, again, people would want to know me. So, when I wanted, started to sell drugs, I started to sell drugs. Hmm. And people would say, okay, well, I can give you this amount, or I can do this, or I can do that. So, I started to use a lot, use a lot more, use a lot more, use a lot more. Um, I actually developed um, a really bad addiction with um, methamphetamine, hmm. uh, aka ice, you know, mm-hmm. yep. Um, started to sell it. Started to use it um, heavily, because again, there was still that hole, mm-hmm. and there was still like the loving of being awake and mm-hmm. loving of being a little bit twisted. So I began to use. I went from the the glass pipe to injecting ice. So getting into harder stuff. Yeah, I um I began to use a lot and hang around people that um, like to use a lot, and yeah, it became pretty dark pretty quick um still living under the shadow of super heist Mm. um dabbling in little bits of music here and there i was in a band with um john farnham's son rob farnham and one of the super heist ex-super heist members and another band called to the sun and all this stuff but while i was doing all that stuff um i might have had a smile on my face but i was using quite a lot Mm. and then how did you finally reach the lowest point so basically I became filled with rage that no one could understand the spot I was in and I was so broken and so confused after about nine years, um, close to nine years on, on the needle. I finally got to the point where everyone knew my family. Mm. Um, I actually physically pushed my mother um, across the veranda. I remember my grandparents had just passed away and I was messed up because they died and they were so important in my life mm. my grandmother was a praying woman that loved Jesus and prayed for me all the time and still convinced the only reason I'm here today is because she was interceding for me mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, so anyway I, I got an intervention order put out on me by the police that I couldn't go back home so almost two years on the street in and out of homes um, picking up what I could and hanging around with some pretty nasty people that really didn't have care too much mm. about anyone apart from getting what they needed and so I was uh, in the gutter literally and I remember one night with a little bag and I hadn't showered in like a week and a half or something because I had nowhere to go no one to trust I was extremely paranoid mm. I would I'd seen things some people would call it um, psychosis I would call it demons mm. and I basically um I yelled at the sky. I don't remember yelling. 
you know, and I, I yelled. Um, and it wasn't nice either, <laughs> but I spoke out. But I, I basically said and challenged God, and I said, if you're real, then help me and get me out of this mess. Why won't you help me? How could you let me get to this point, you know? How could you let me get here? I'm I'm dead, you know? By this stage, I'd had gone through many things with crime, many risky things that I did and managed to get away from. And I'd had hepatitis from using needles in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Family didn't want to know me as far as I was an addict um, and I was crazy and I was stealing things from their house and taking things and, and, and standing over my mum and my brother and scaring them and I wasn't welcome at home. So I rang them eventually and I cried out for help, you know. I said, I need help. And they agreed to to come alongside me and, and um, find me a rehab somewhere to, to try and uh, get out of this hole that I was in. And yeah, so that was um, that was a horrible experience and I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, you know. But I know there's people out there now that are in similar situations, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm very lucky that God had mercy on me so I could be here today mm-hmm. and doing this interview because at one stage, man, I did not think... I didn't want to leave. I I seriously wanted to take my life. I would rather have been dead than going through what I was going through. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to stop it right there because we've run out of time. So we invite you to join us again next time for part two of our conversation with Joseph Biro, the ex-lead singer of the Melbourne hard rock band Super Heist. As we just heard, at this point in Joseph's story, he's at his lowest point and has called out to God for help. Next time, we'll hear how his life completely turns around and how the Lord is using his experiences, both in music and going through drug rehab. The Lord is now using those experiences in an amazing way for his honour and glory. As it says in the Bible, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He hears their cry. And saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. Well, thanks for joining us for part one of Joseph's life journey. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I remember one night with a little bag and I hadn't showered in like a week and a half or something because I had nowhere to go. And I basically, um, I yelled at the sky. I don't remember yelling. It wasn't nice either, (laughs) but I spoke out. But I I basically said and challenged God and I said, if you're real, then help me and get me out of this mess. Why won't you help me? How could you let me get to this point, you know? How could you let me get here? I'm I'm dead, you know? When Joseph Biro became the lead singer for his favourite band, Super Heist, he thought it was going to be heaven on earth. However, it became nothing short of a nightmare as he tried to fill the void in his heart with drugs and the rock star lifestyle. We'll find out how God set him free next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.